Welcome to the 17th episode of Junto Club. On this episode, Shu brings some unique pickup lines and other writings, and we talk about the neoliberal Bible, Why Nations Fail. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rent on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. All right, welcome to the 17th meeting of the Junto Club. This is uh, a club inspired by Benjamin Franklin, who, you know, back in the 1700s, organized a group of his friends from a club for mutual improvement. Basically, they came together and discussed topics on business, science, philosophy, politics, and the like to try to kind of, you know, improve themselves, learn more. So, you know, we sort of do the same thing, uh, touching on all those topics or anything that really takes our fancy. And uh, yeah, this episode is going to be primarily on Why Nations Fail, a book about why nations fail, (laughs) a self-explanatory title. Um, Just basically looking why, trying to understand why some countries become rich and some countries like stay in poverty. Uh, I'm the one who read the book, so she will be grilling me with questions but before we do that, Shu, as is tradition, has a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. All right. This one's quote is, quote, If you would have your business done, go. If not, send. End quote. Any thoughts? Can you read it again? If you would have your business done, go. If not, send. So, if you... Does it make sense to you guys? Now, if you want your business done, go. If not, send. All right. Uh, this is oh. a wild guess, but mm. maybe he's basically saying, like, if you want to get things done, like, you know, a business deal or something, like, if you want to actually accomplish it, you need to go. So you can, you know, hash it out in person. And if you don't really care about having to actually get like through or whatever, then you just send a letter or someone else for you, especially Mm. back in, you know, when, you know, technology was much very different. Mm -hmm. Virtual meetings weren't a thing. Right. No, I, I, I see that. I see what you're saying, man. And that's, I think, I think that's sort of the direction I was leading to. Like, if you want something done well, do it yourself, that type of ideology. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's, that's my understanding as well. Have you heard of the agent, the agency problem, the principal agent problem, the agency problem? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, any kind, any kind of, interpersonal relationship any kind of business relationship there's always conflict of interest right mm. so different people have different i like, have their own incentive to do stuff right like, especially like if uh so so that's why if so for when you're doing things right you want to have those incentives aligned right if there's no they're not aligned then you know things could messed up right so but yeah so this is I, I think, uh, yeah, but I agree with Mike's, uh, your interpretation. Like if you do stuff, you, if you want to get something like done really good, you know, do it yourself, 
right? If you don't, then send someone out, you know, let someone else do it, you know, but yeah. Right, yeah. no. I mean, I think that like sort of both points you made there like go together well because like the idea that people have competing and like no two people have the exact same interests probably in any situation. So, if mm-hmm. you, and when we say do something well, we mean do it to the best, like best meet our interests. So it's like the you know the person who can best meet your interests is you. So yeah, sounds good. All right. I think we figured that one out. That's good. Last week's was rough. (laughs) Okay. So news round table. Anyone had anything fun they wanted to bring up? Me? I have, I was going to talk about some pickup lines that I found on the internet. Oh. (laughs) Is that news? Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Mike or Matt? No, I mean, I feel like the news is mostly depressing. All right, so, so let me check. Let's check out this 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 pickup line I found on the internet. I'm losing my voice from all the screaming. Your hotness is causing me to do. Any thoughts? Like right, every... check out this one. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Okay. No, no, you can get the second one first. Yeah. No, I have I have an A on these, so. <laughs> All right, like every other pickup line I've ever heard, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. So the second one is, I love you. I don't care if you are a dogo or doggo in a trench coat. I don't know. All what right. So that's like no, the, the like baby that... way of saying dog? I think so, yeah. Uh, so the I other one is, you're... you look like a stealth assassin from the clouds. Are you sure that's a pickup line? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the, I guess uh, that's a different way of saying angel. Yeah. So he, I'm not sure. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Here's the other one. So, what's the definition of phantometer? Because I, I would like to run it through your cork ten times. That, uh, here's another one. I don't even get it. <laughs> Here's another one. Hey, baby, are, are your schematics compatible with this protocol? So, what do you think? That's a no, home wrong among <laughs> no. people chained in a basement. Pickup lines are bad to begin with, and these are so- below average. Really? Okay, I was thinking of using it. Actually, so these pickup lines are generated by AI. Oh, okay. Here's your. Oh, okay. Here's your angle, yes. And they do make sense, right? No. <laughs> so actually, so this is this is done by a a researcher, a research scientist, an AI researcher called Janelle Shane. She has a blog called AI Weirdness, and then this is something that she she play with. Now she try to uh, using a basically a neural network, like deep learning to generate uh, some pickup lines from, so basically, you know, and then, I mean, she, she commented actually, the, the, the pickup lines we actually found online by generated by humans actually are worse than these, so. Well, she's a computer scientist, so. Uh. She, she, was, she was not a computer science, actually. She was a physics major. She was uh, doing that oh, optics engineering. Equally as bad, all right. Um. <laughs> So, but no, but I, uh, like I didn't do pickup lines, but I obviously use like LSTM, you know, neural Mm -hmm. networks to like generate, like I tried to generate jokes with like LSTMs and 
yeah, they're they're bad. <laughs> so, so my my yeah, I was gonna mention. Do you know what? Have you heard of the GPT three? GPT three. I don't believe so. Isn't that just the super huge neural network that some researchers made for like general language processing? Yeah, exactly. It's from an open AI, right? So next, next, this is oh, okay. what you use to generate those, right? So you basically have different versions of uh, different models of it and mm-hmm. using that and to, to basically to, to do, to do this. Yeah. So, oh, okay, uh, yeah. yeah. So what it does, I mean, what AI does actually, all it does is just generate, just try to predict the next word, mm-hmm. right? You generate one word and you try to predict the next word. That's what, it, what the AI does basically. And this GTP3 actually had been very, very powerful right now. Uh, has, so it was able to, like, you basically just give give the AI a prompt. And I say, hey, generate the top pickup lines for 2021. And it, that's what it generated, right? So that's the other thing that the pickup line the thing it does actually was able to, the GT, a lot of people using GPT3 actually to wrote, like, just give it a prompt. It was able to wrote, like, computer codes, programs. I mean, it actually works pretty well. And also, like, write books, uh, uh, poems, and stuff like that. Yeah. So, So, is that, like, can you actually access, like, the supercomputer? Or, like... No, you can, you have access to the model, GTB3. Oh, okay, it's just the model, okay. Yeah, you you can download it, you can play with it, you can can retrain it, I think, as well. I think it's already pre-trained, you just need to, you can play with it. However, is uh, I think there's a, a wait list that you had to wait to to for to 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 for your turn to get to play with it. Yeah. Well, oh, okay, but it's not. I mean, I guess the structure may be set, but like like the structure of the model may be set. But what I'm saying is, you can actually like retrain par- at least parts of it with with like different. Oh, data. yeah, I think it's called GTP. It's something called gener- generative that pre P stands for pre-train. So it's already trained, pre-trained by all these like wiki, like Wikipedia, or everything on the internet already. Right, right. right. Well, and no, then, that's that's why those like, cause like when I was using GNNs on my personal machine, it was often like without restricting the structure of what was output a lot. Like it was very hard to get stuff that actually worked, like you know, a result that made any sense whatsoever. But those pickup lines you were just doing, I was like, wow. Like the, the impressive part of that was not the lines themselves, but like. The fact that they sort of made some type of sense and had like good, yeah. pretty good and differing, differing structure, right? Yeah. So, you know, but that is because it must like let you give you access to a computer where you can use like tons of data. Like, yeah, all of Wikipedia, all of, you know, the different online newspapers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's why a lot of people actually turn it into a different program using that to like to write computer, basically just write a computer. You, you want to just give a prompt say i want this program to do you just like run a code for you basically so right that's pretty cool yeah so and let's talk about ai skepticism a little bit i think matt is very uh, skeptic of ai right general ai skeptic in the sense that we're not going to have it soon yeah yeah i would i would take that title what do you think mike um, I, I assume like a general AI as in like actually like good across different domains. Mm. Yeah, I agree with Matt because I, right. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, I, like in our lifetime, we may see stuff. We may see AI do creative things in better ways than we're seeing now. But 
I don't know that we'll have a robot that could look and act just like me. There's, okay. I mean, there's always the chance like someone comes up with some crazy idea that works super well, but like we don't, we don't have an like we don't even see the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of making a general artificial intelligence, right? Like a true GAI. Like we just don't know how to do that. We have a lot of really cool AI tools, but they're all very narrow. You know, they work on exactly what you've trained them on generally. Um, mm. And it's hard to, it's very hard to adapt. I mean, there are people who do research on like trying to like, you know, share learning and, you know, adapt things from one domain to another or similar problems, but it's tough. Yeah. I mean, neural networks, like, I mean, if it, it, they're good at like image classification, I wonder, I guess, if we, because I mean, our neurons are far more complex learners than any node in a neural network. So it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a way to ramp up things. Like, because it's like, if we could figure out how to make like those nodes learn what our neurons are encoding for, <laughs> then that's a way to ramp up very, very quickly. But like, um, like even if you had a neural network as big as our brain, like they're much simpler. Each their neurons are way simpler, and right. So, and I don't think they are as big as brains yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it's a. It's two different issues. It's computing power, like and like appropriate data, but also our brains are just like better at learning. So mm-hmm. hmm. I don't know. I mean, human brains also still have a lot of like different functionality kind of isolated in different parts of the brain that sort of work together. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're. I could easily see, you know, the first general artificial intelligence being something similar where you have components, like you have some deep neural networks that do image processing, right? Like maybe that's right. a part of it. That's part of this artificial visual cortex that does one thing, but then you have entirely different stuff that does other things, right? Right. No, I think like spatial, lo- uh, like localization, I mean, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like how that's enhancing like chip speed, like it's essentially just packing things tighter together. So it's like, I mean, the process, like I would imagine that the, at least the first types of AI, like general AI would have, yeah, essentially algorithms designed independently and then brought together because in many ways the work, like our brain evolved that way. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what are you super optimistic, Shu? You think we're gonna see a general AI in twenty years or something? General AI, I'm not sure, but some pretty good AI and it's good enough to do a lot of stuff, you know. You know, I I I mean personally I don't think AI should be you, we don't really need general AI, right? We just need AI and it's good enough to help to augment humans, right? We don't need that AI and it's equivalent of human intelligence. We need we need it to do something that human can do, right? And that's that's not, I think that's the best way to to use it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, and then well, he he is a word. I mean, some 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 people, someone wrote about nice skepticism. Uh, he wrote about AI, so he is quote AI programs lack consciousness and self awareness. They will never be able to have a sense of humor. They will never be able to appreciate art or beauty or love. They would never feel lonely. They would never have empathy for other people, for animals, for the environment. They would never enjoy music or fall in love or cry. What do you think? He's right about now, but mm-hmm. never is a strong statement. Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, 
so I used to I used to kind of agree with them because I like when I when I learned how computers work and programs work, I'm like, how could you ever go from that to you know something equivalent to you know how humans learn and grow and stuff? It seemed impossible, but I had someone present me kind of a thought experiment, which was like, imagine you just had a super powerful computer, right? Yeah, infinitely powerful. I guess it doesn't need to be infinite, but incredibly powerful. And you just simulated a brain, like a human brain, your human brain, every neuron, every connection, all the molecular interactions within it. Um, and you know, and then you fed it input and took the output out and you could plug that into a computer or a robot or whatever. Like if it's a perfect simulation with there's nothing theoretically stopping us from simulating a brain like that, besides just having the information and the processing power, you know, obviously then it could do what a human brain does even if you call it like a, a simulation. So now is that the best way to accomplishment? Probably not, but I think it shows it's possible, right? You can make a, a brain in, a, in software that does the same things a human brain does at least. And then from the question of, if you say that's not true emotions, but what we have is true emotions. I mean, that's just, that's just <laughs> a, like a semantics or an impossible philosophical question of, you know, is something that thinks with like a different underlying mechanism is like their thoughts and feelings fundamentally different somehow. I would yeah. say not in any way that matters to us, but. Right. No, I mean, it's really the question, like, uh, like uh, the answer is, can AI have like emotion, empathy, all of this? Like, if you say no, like the only way I feel like that's a valid assertion is if you are like, like humans of souls, you know, like some type of, like, that's the only difference that I could possibly see. Like, if we're designed, like, and you think we're, like, so, in some way, like, presented some divine spark, like, that is literally the only difference I could possibly, like, I could possibly see. Because AI, like, yes, we can replicate exactly what we have. <laughs> Eventually. All right. That makes sense. So what if I tell you, Nat, the, the thing I just recite to you was generated by AI. <laughs> I, I, that one was good. That's that not like pickup lines. That sounded like something people, someone would write for real. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was generated by the GTP three as well. Oh, That's man. an impressive one. Yeah. You just gave, you just, you just gave it, actually, you know, the guy just gave you a, a, a prompt and the prompt on this case, is a few words expressing skepticism about AI. And that's what the AI generated. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's coming. Yeah. It's yeah. coming. It's coming for your writing jobs, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I do hate writing, but this is a little late to finish my dissertation for me. So <laughs> oh, yeah. that might be the biggest thing you ever write, Matt. All right. I, it better be. <laughs> if my next job wants me to write more, I'm going to be like, F that. I will not do this. You could just write books. Like, you can be one of those, like, famous mm. scientists who just, like, his, like, who their career, like, I have expertise in this field, so I'm going to write just books for the layman that are, like, 200 pages that, you know, just sort of recycle the knowledge in the field. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. All right. I, I feel like enough people are writing books. And you might say, aren't enough people making podcasts too? Absolutely. <laughs> this is unnecessary. But <laughs> this is an excuse for us to talk and we're putting it out on the internet. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. But we also do your live. Not a lot of podcasts are doing your live. So, you know, 
That's we right. If anyone has questions, they're allowed. They can ask us live. Oh my gosh! What? Why? Why aren't we on Twitch streaming? That's what we need. Uh, because I, I don't know. I don't want to be associated with gamer culture. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Gamers are the most oppressed group in society. That's right. That's obviously a joke. Just in case anyone listening uh, wasn't couldn't pick up on it. All right. So get on Twitch, Mike. So. Anyway, you guys, you guys know Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. So he tweets a lot, right? He, he always get in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah, right? yeah. Ooh, what's that? Oh no, nah. you can keep talking. This is just for you know people who are watching. The- I know. I forgot. I forgot. Her, I forgot her name. Atlas. That's Atlas. Name. All right. If you're listening, I picked up my cat and showed, started showing it off. Mm. So there's Atlas and Rory, right? That's right. Two cats. Wow. All right. You can All keep right. talking, Joe. <laughs> All right. So Elon, so Elon Musk, right? We already know he, he tweeted a lot and he always got in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even with the SEC. So he, he's in the Trump. He, he's a prompt that you give it to tell the AI GTP3 to write a, a Dr. Seuss poem about Elon Musk. <laughs> and this is a part of what he came out with, right? Okay. Uh, Quote, but then in, in his haste, he got into a fight. He had some emails that he sent that weren't quite polite. The SEC said, Musk, your tweets are a blight. End, end quote. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I might good start point. using this. I need to download this just when I like want to write something clever on the internet. Like, mm-hmm. No, yeah. I mean, I. Uh, you said shoot that it's like a waiting list, right? Because I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like something this powerful, like you must just be like signing into like a terminal and you know putting the. I assume putting the data data you want to train it with on like a remote machine and. Well, they're not retraining I mean, this at all. They're just passing a prompt to an established model, if I understand right. Yeah, I mean, you you so he's already pre-trained. I think you just download a model, probably in the source code, right? And you can pre-train it. You, I mean, you can train it with your own stuff again to like to do something specific that you want, right? Oh, I see. Okay. And you can basically modify it to do anything you want specific, like to do like the pickup lines, right? You need to, you know, you still need to do some work to make it get it to do exactly what you want, like your your application, basically, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's giving you probably a pre-training with like all of the literature yeah. on the internet to so it already has figured out like the neural network has already like essentially implicitly has like some understanding of structure between words and stuff like yeah. that i mean then the whole all it does is just predict the next word right mm. just predict what the next word should be that's what that's all the ai does and he has he's able to do so much that's 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 what yeah mm-hmm. and Right now, you can, I think, play with it, but I think I don't think you can do anything commercial with it because Microsoft actually got into a ex- ex- exclusive partnership with them. So he, ex- I think Microsoft just paid them a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Say, say, okay, I can only, I have the only ex- ex- exclusive right to use it for commercial purpose. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but there's a reason why Microsoft pays so much money for it, right? So. Because it's good, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. All right, so it's time for our main topic then. 
All right. Why nations fail. Okay. So I'll give, you know, a, a quick summary of the book and then we can get into questions. So the, the authors basically describe their theory and then go through a bunch of historical examples of how it applies to countries all over the world. And the core idea is the difference between inclusive and extractive institutions. So inclusive political and economic institutions are things that encourage and help people participate, allow people to participate, um, while extractive institutions are generally some authoritarian figure or something, you know, sort of taking the wealth. So democracy is inclusive because it allows everyone to vote. You know, a free market is inclusive because it, you know, allows anyone to participate. Um, you know, colonies and slavery are like very extreme examples of extractive institutions, but, you know, just authoritarian regimes that, you know, have the ability to just seize a business or other stuff can be, you know, a milder but still bad form of extractive institutions. So, you know, that's, that's the very bold summary. Um, and to give a bit more details, you know, based on this idea, like, so it's kind of, it's trying to set up an understanding beyond like, like at a higher level than specific policies or laws, right? Like what's the fundamental concept that makes a nation rich and the ideas and, and some more details. So like in general, the, the thing they really point to when it comes to inclusive institutions are things like democracy and the free market, which I already mentioned, also a fair and like, um, you know, a fair justice system, impartial, fair and impartial justice system, you know, things like schools and investment and roads and stuff. Um, those maybe stretch the definition a little bit, but obviously schools help more people become educated so they can participate in the economy at a better level. Same with roads. Roads allow more people to participate. So these sort of things help everyone. And if I was to distill the crux of it, of what I got from the book, I don't think they say this anywhere, but to me, what's interesting is like in the modern world, countries have built an enormous amount of wealth and many of them did it really, really quickly. So obviously technology is like a component of this, right? Like modern technology has enabled us to become wealthier, but that's like a ceiling. And so why did some countries like rapidly grow in wealth and prosperity while others really didn't? I think the key is like a country becomes wealthy when the people in it work to create that wealth. Like fundamentally, that's what has to happen. Like so many countries have gone from relatively poor to wealthy and they had to like create the wealth essentially. Right. Hmm. So what inclusive institutions do is create the environment that people are able to and encouraged to create wealth, usually because it benefits themselves, but in the process, they benefit society as a whole. So, you know, creating a new business benefits themselves you know the idea of investing in a new business to do something more efficiently on a larger scale that helps them they make money but it helps society too right like that helps provide a good or service for cheaper broader better in some level um you know so and when you kind of have this and it also talks a lot about like cycles like once you have kind of these inclusive institutions you know the things generally tend to sort of spiral up you know you see minority groups gaining more rights, more inclusion into the institutions and those things not just help them, but also help our economy and vice versa. A lot of extractive institutions, you know, authoritarian regimes, they often like kind of clamp down on anyone who's, you know, doing anything that could threaten their power. So, you know, they sort of continue to perpetuate the problems that leave the countries poor in the first place. 
All right. So that's not, that wasn't fantastic, but that's a quick summary of the core idea as best as I could. Any questions from you, Mike? Well, so I guess, so I mean, basically the thesis is that nations fail when they have like essentially too many of these systems that exploit and not enough systems that are inclusive. Yeah. That's a good, decent way to put it. Okay. A good example, like a very kind of like on the ground example is like you imagine like a farmer who wants to like, you know, invest in an, it could be a new plow or it could be a new tractor or something, right? Like something simple, but it allows them to farm more food, make more food, sell more food, get more money. Like when there's a lot of places, especially in the past and even some places today where, you know, if they do that, they get more money. There's a very good chance that either it could be a corrupt government. It could be like organized crime or it could just be like random crime. People are just going to see that, okay, you now have more wealth beyond just like living in like pop, like base poverty. So they just come and take it. Right. Like doing better just makes you a target for people who aren't interested in, you know, building up society as a whole, but are just looking how can they extract wealth from other people. Right. Um, so this is why things like a fair and impartial legal system and respect of property rights are important because that incentivizes people to invest in themselves, their businesses, their communities. And it's those things that start to accumulate wealth in society as a whole. So that would be my more physical example of these obviously very kind of vague ideas. Sure. So are you saying that, you know, Joe Biden just announced the $2 trillion infrastructure bill, right? Yeah. To to improve the, route, the roads and bridges, stuff like that. So you think that's an inclusive policy? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's like heavily inclusive, but I think it, I think it is a little bit. I mean, it's a good investment. Mm. It's not fundamentally, I don't know if it really is changing. It's not, I don't know if it's heavily changing how inclusive our country is, but it's, it might be a little bit of a push. Got you. So what, what do you think about the, the Biden's, the, the bill, the infrastructure bill? I haven't read much about the details, but it seems mm-hmm. good. I know, okay. I think he's a planning to have our electricity grid carbon neutral by 2035, which is, which would be really awesome. Hmm. So. All right. So, why does the author using the word inclusive? Like, is there any better word for it? I feel like inclusive is not. It's not. I'm not sure if it hits the nail in the head. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought about that too at one point because, like, before I read it, like, I kind of heard about the idea and I thought maybe I kind of had like a somewhat different picture of what he meant, but I can't think of a better way to describe it. And mm-hmm. after after reading that, I was like, okay, it makes sense. Because it really is about trying to include people in both mm-hmm. the political and economic processes and include them as more than just like, you know, a drone, right? Like, you know, slaves aren't included in the economic process of like slavery, right? Mm-hmm. And that's obviously terrible for them, but arguably it also holds back the areas that relied on slaves, you know, from becoming more productive. Like now we know mm. there's much better, you know, ways you can utilize human capital, but. Mm. Yeah. We just became slaves to corporations, basically. <laughs> I mean, this is a bit of a tangent, but some, some, you know, socialist leaning people would claim socialism is more inclusive than capitalism, uh, but that's, that's a hairier debate. 
I see, Let's I set see. that aside for a moment. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned authoritarian uh, countries, of course, and the people are going to think about China, right? So, so what, what, what does it, is China a, a counter example to the book's thesis then? It, so it's an interesting example for sure. And I think the book talks about China and to a degree, um, to a degree, we kind of have to wait and see. So I think according to the book's theories, China can't sustain, like if its theory is correct, China can't sustain its growth. Because the theory says that extractive countries can generate some limited growth. Because mm-hmm. like obviously, you know, setting up a colony and stealing their resources this is going to get you some wealth. But it's saying, arguing that that's not sustainable and will never reach, get as, and it, it will never generate as much wealth as an inclusive thing. So it would argue, as I understand the theory, that China will either become inclusive, you know, as more people gain more money, they might, you know, push for more rights and kind of start, uh, you know, a cycle where it becomes a more inclusive liberal country, or it's likely will eventually kind of have a collapse and, you know, either a collapse or just like a stunting where it never reaches the wealth of, you know, both Western and Eastern countries that are, you know, fully developed, like, Mm. you know, like lots of European places or South Korea or things like that. Um, but I would like to mention that, like, I mean, a lot, a big part of China's success was clearly it shifting from to a more inclusive capitalistic approach, right? Like, so yeah. Mao died. Uh, then they started all sorts of market reforms and they started, set it up things like the special economic zones um, where, you know, f- encouraging businesses to invest. And now, and, you know, that was exactly when we saw a big shift in China going from very poor for decades to rapid growth and development. Um, and, you know, now it has, I mean, this is more about like some two people are like China still, it's kind of like a weird half and half, right? Like they say they're socialist, but they also have a billionaire class, right? There's actually China has the second most billionaires of any country in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a very interesting case, but I think, I would say their history shows that the shift they did towards more inclusive institutions um, aligned very clearly with the rapid progress they got in the eighties and nineties. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, where as we a, see where it goes from here. It's hard to say. As, as someone growing in China, grow, growing up in China. So there's a phrase that, uh, so after Mao died, I think the Deng Xiaoping, he's the one that took over. And then he actually, in China, in China, actually, people call him the engineer, right? The engineer of like a new, I don't know, new era or something for China, China right? He basically mm-hmm. built China into the new, the modern, right? So what he did, he's basically there's a phrase called socialism, like capitalize, capitalize, or you know, or communism privatized or something like that, right? So he's doing both. Right, so it does try to encourage nice uh, free markets in there, right? So now things still are owned by the country, not by the government, but still encourage a lot of people to do like be do private stuff, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's what I can do. So China is not really a you know pure socialism, so it's more like socialism capitalized. So it it has it has capitalism as well. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting mix and of socialism and capitalism ideas of inclusive and extractive institutions. Um, you know, so we'll see, you know, obviously they're trying to mix it in a way that makes things better. I, 
I'm of the opinion that if they just sort of more fully adopted, you know, these inclusive institutions sort of leaned into the free market economy and things like that more, they probably would have had more growth and would continue growing faster. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll live long enough to see what happens with China. So this question will be answered for us. Yeah. Yeah. I was <laughs> hoping we live long enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Barring something tragic, we should. I imagine in the next 20, 30 years, we'll, China will do something pretty interesting. Yes. Stay tuned for the upcoming episode where we're going to talk about non- longevity and anti-aging. No, yeah. uh, not longevity, life extension. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah. Any other questions besides China? Yeah, of course. And I use, I mean, so I guess uh, why I want to go back a little bit. Like, why did you pick on a book? Uh there's a subreddit on on Reddit called Neoliberal and they push it a lot as like, you know, they they jokingly refer to it as their Bible. Um, but you know, it's it was just basically pushed online as a good book to read and understand. And uh, you know, so I read it. Oh. I so are you part of the neo neo liberal? <laughs> I, I go on the subreddit sometimes and read stuff, yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean they're I, I, really do, just do liberals, believe, but are you part of the group? Do you believe that, like, I don't know, whatever they believe? Like, what's neoliberal anyways? Do you mean neoliberal? What does neoliberal mean? So neoliberal is possibly one of the most abused political titles in, like, modern time. Um, people on both sides refer to people on the other side as neoliberals as, like, an insult. So it's kind yeah. of the subreddit kind of took the name as a joke. But functionally, what they advocate for is generally liberal ideology, I mean, liberals a broad thing, but it, you, they're, they're really kind of moderate Democrats in the U.S. kind of political spectrum. Mm. So, okay. All go right. Ahead, Mike. Well, no, and, I, like, okay, I'll go ahead, Matt, if you stole something on that. I was going to say, and that aligns reasonably well with people who are often called neoliberals in modern day, which is, you know, people call Obama and Clinton and Biden even neoliberals, right? At least mm-hmm. online they do. So, you know, it kind of aligns. There are people who also largely agree with the things they do. So, yeah, but that's, this is a side topic. That's not important. Right. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. an interesting topic, actually. <laughs> okay. Before we get too far away from, like, the thesis of the book. So we talked about, I guess, like, I mean, I guess, is it advocating? So, I mean, I guess I phrase the thesis sort of just making an assumption that it's more about, like, include inclusivity good exclusivity or you know sort of oppressive exclusionary type practices bad but is there anything in the book that would hint at like there needs to be some you know not necessarily 50 50 balance but like like a hundred percent inclusion is bad or is it just advocating for a hundred percent inclusion i mean i think it would Mostly just advocating for 100% inclusion. I mean, you could you could potentially interpret like, I mean, what's the difference between a government taxing like a little bit to invest intelligently and a government, you know, just like seizing too many funds to abuse, right? Like to some degree, right. it's both a government, you know, taking people's money, but like the amount and how what they use it for, what matters. So there's definitely some like, lines where it's not necessarily what's inclusive versus extractive is not necessarily clear cut. Probably the most important difference is, um, you know, 
how it was used, but you can also use stuff that benefits one, like it might not benefit the politician as directly as it benefits one community over the other. So I don't know, I guess it would push for inclusivity, but it does, you know, advocate for things like, like schools and roads and stuff, right. It's considers those good things, which does involve taking some people's property slash money. Sure. No, it's not, no, no, it's not like full libertarian, you know, taxes are theft. Right, right. And even beyond, like, I'm thinking not only of like sort of the economic sort of process involvement of everyone, but I mean, obviously a big news story in Georgia now is voting laws or mm. like a big topic right now is no. voting mm. laws. So, you know, it's like, I guess there are questions about like, you know, is a hundred percent voter participation what we want or is it, you know, and it's like, I mean, for the most part, I think it's good people vote, but I guess depending on what your society looks like, um, you know, I mean, I guess like if, I mean, if you lived in a place where, I mean, I don't know people like there was larger groups more like actively like against something that was like, obviously, I mean, I don't like, it's a difficult thing. Right. Because I mean, I guess like, inclusive 100% inclusivity is like making the assumption that you're never going to encounter some essentially never going to encounter something that sort of the majority opinion can't like get right enough to keep things going no that's true i mean so what i would say is broad democracy is robust it's not necessarily always going to be right or the most efficient but Mm -hmm. Like, sure, you can hypothetically say, well, what if the majority gets it wrong? Like, couldn't we have like a small, super smart elite, you know, make the right call for everyone? Sure. Problem is like, that's very fragile in that, like, you know, uh, they could get something wrong. Like, if they're not correct, it can go wrong. And it also can very quickly incentivize the wrong things Mm -hmm. where, you know, incentivize them making decisions that benefit themselves at the overall harm of the society at large so you know having a broad democracy encourages you know the politicians and leaders to appeal to everyone the broadest you know possible range you know make decisions and choices that appeal broadly to the people of you know their country or state or whatever so i think it tends to it pushes people in the right direction it does certainly doesn't mean it's always going to be you know people are going to vote for the right thing but Sure. Well, I mean, when people feel involved, like, and it's, as you say, sort of the broad democracy, it's sort of like, I mean, it it incentivizes them to like, like everyone to make decisions that are good or not necessarily the best, but like decent enough for everyone. So, um, I mean, yeah. Are you for a new law in Georgia? The voting law? I don't even. I don't know whether it's for or against. I. I mean. I. I just know it's big news. Is. Is. Is this the one saying that you can't like serve people water in line or something? Something like that. But it's, I think it's mostly like require you to have ID. That's the more more important thing. Required to have ID to vote. But Ooh. Georgia already requires you have ID to vote. I'm not sure. And then, um. I mean, I. I th- when I went to, I'm not sure if I have show my ID. I don't remember. I voted in Georgia, and it oh, definitely yeah. was like you need to have your ID. It's yeah, very so, clear. so so I don't know. Maybe some place that you don't need ID is maybe it was not a requirement before. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, I think people should be able to have water and food in line if they're going to pass out. But I'm not necessarily totally against needing ID. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the ID thing might be like uh, 
like a straw man of sort sort of thrown out as like a fake thing where they're like, oh, you're against ID, but it's like, but ID was already required. So this mm-hmm. bill is not just saying you need ID, which is not, I mean, some people contest it, but doesn't seem unreasonable, right? To like prove who you are if you're going to vote. But uh, I think so. I'm, I haven't read too much about it either, but I'm, I'm assuming there's stuff that's worse than just needing an ID because otherwise they. Yeah. All right. Maybe you maybe say we... that, but like the Georgia secretary of state website was pretty explicit about like, you need an IVD to vote. Yeah. Maybe we'll do deep dive next time. That could <laughs> <All> be. <right. laughs> yeah. Moving yeah. on to the, actually to the side topic, another side topic. So you're saying you mentioned that the why nations fail the book. It's in the Bible for neoliberalism. That's Why? right. Why? Why? Uh, well, you know, I think broadly speaking, it advocates for, you know, a liberal view of the world, kind of, uh, you know, pro-capitalism, pro-democracy, pro-human rights, that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, and that's conservative believing that too. Right. Sometimes. <laughs> what do you mean? Conservative doesn't believe in democracy and capitalism? Uh, I mean, capitalism, they usually say they believe in, but sometimes they do things. Well, to be fair, both sides do this, where they're like against it, right? They, everyone's like, we're for capitalism until a business does something they don't like. And then they're like, oh, wait, this is a problem. You know, uh... you know, they moved, you know, someone moved a company to Mexico you know, we need to shut down free trade and force companies to like stay in the U.S. or something, right? Like seize them because it's wrong for them to, mm. you know, trade with other countries or something. I don't know. Okay. This is rambling. This. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. What, what are you asking me again? Sorry. I was wondering why is the bad Bible for the neoliberalism? I mean, I think it's just. I mean, it's a well-written book. It has a lot of hist- like a lot of historical examples, mm. and I think it just explains. I mean, I think it explains the world well. Like, it's a mm. theory that clearly aligns with what we've seen in history well. So there's alternative theories, right, to why nations are rich or poor. Maybe you should yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. that. Well, so one is environmental determinism, right? That one was popular in the past, and there's been some small resurgences where it's all about, uh, you know, where a country was and its climate and, you know, what animals were around. Uh, Guns, Germ, and Steel is a popular book that advocates it. Um mm-hmm. And they actually discuss this and why nations fail. And it really, and I agree with it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, like, I mean, for a long time, like the, it's basically the, the thesis of the idea is usually that like, oh, the temperate climate countries are where most of the countries are rich. So it has something to do with that is why they're rich. But like, I mean, Australia is very tropical, super hot, right? But it's mm-hmm. became very quickly developed into like a modern rich country you know, when lots of other tropical countries didn't. Well, why? Because they inherited the same institutions from the UK, from Britain, that created this, you know, sort of same inclusive institutions that created this wealth, led to this, you know, path of generating wealth for a society. And Mm -hmm. vice versa, you know, there's Eastern European countries that are very temperate, cold, you know, very similar climate to Germany, but they're poor. They're very Mm -hmm. poor, even though Germany, not that far to the West, is very wealthy. So, I think environmental determinism, I mean, obviously I'm not an expert on it. Um, there's probably people who would get mad at this, some professor somewhere, but it doesn't seem to explain the world well. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. What's in, what, what are the other alternatives? 
Well, theories. there's one other I see sometimes online. I don't know if this one's as much of an academic theory as a conspiracy or at least an idea online, but uh, some people will say, oh, the reason Western countries are rich is imperialism, right? So they'll be like, oh, it's just a legacy of colonialism, even though, you know, sure, they don't have colonies now, but that's how they got rich. And now that they get to like stay rich because they have the advantage. And then they'll be like, and in the U.S., which didn't really have colonies, but they're like, oh, but slavery. So the U.S. had a lot of slaves. And that's why the U.S. is rich. Um, this also fails. I mean, there's some... Like, I mean, maybe does a little bit better job than environmental determinism in terms of just lining up, Mm -hmm. but it also fails because like, for instance, Brazil, a huge country with many natural resources, just like the U.S., actually had more more slaves come into it from the Atlantic slave trade than the U.S. did not become super wealthy, right? Hmm. Um, Australia was a colony, was not, did not have colonies. Why did South Korea become super rich when North Korea became broke poor? South Korea, you know, after the Korean War, did not go set up colonies in other countries, nor did they import slaves to do work. Mm -hmm. Um, They became super rich. Or even comparing the U.S. South and North, right? The U.S. South had a big slavery, right? That's a major industry. The U.S. South is also still more poor than the North. And at the end of the Civil War, you know, or even before the Civil War, the difference was more stark. Like, largely, the U.S. South has caught up over time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we're vastly more richer the U S South than it was in like 1870, but, um, the slavery was not, I mean, it's like, uh, it's kind of like a short-term thing. It's like short-term thinking, right? The extractive institution of slavery on the short term can make some people wealthier, but mm. the, the North, which was, you know, building factories and industrializing, going to a more inclusive approach to economic growth came out way ahead. And, you know, that difference still exists, kind of lingers to some degree. Um, well, I mean, so, I mean, part of that, though, is like, I mean, was or is part of that sort of the North being, I guess, closer, slat, like more connected to like, you know, England where the Industrial Revolution started or? Uh, I mean, it could be, but I feel like, I don't know, I like the industrial revolution was already underway before like the U S you know, became a country and, uh, and, you know, uh, colonists came from settled from the, you know, Britain and all the States, as far as I'm aware, or most of them. So I don't, I don't think there is, I doubt that it would have been a big, like, I doubt there would have been a huge difference between the North and South in terms of that. I just think it's, you know, I think the the South sort of got trapped in a cycle of using an extractive institution to make wealth, which limited it, right? Sure. So, and then shifting from that became difficult, and it took a while, and it kind of let it back. So anyway, so those are a bunch of random examples of why this idea that, oh, the West, Western countries plus some other countries in the East are rich was from imperialism. It doesn't really align well mm. with history or, you know, what we know. Yeah. From that's pretty good. From a quick summary of the book, I just look at some of the summary of they, they mentioned like Botswana. Like what happened in Botswana? Why is that an example that they study? Do you know? Uh yeah, so this is a detailed so they talk about the unique kind of culture and politics in Botswana and mm. how like that they're more inclusive and why that's why Botswana is doing much better than the neighboring African countries. 
I honestly don't remember all the details. This is really in the heart of going through a ton of historical examples. And I read this a while back. Um, so I don't remember enough of the details to talk about it much. Uh, I remember the core thesis, but you know, you'd have to read the book if you want to learn more about Botswana. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. So, so is, so I guess is, um, uh, so how, how are we, how is American doing right now? In terms of inclusiveness, like, is it, are we going downhill? Or are we going uphill? Or are we just stay neutral? I would say it's mostly staying neutral. Um, I mean, but should we be progressing? Could we still be progressing? Probably. But I don't think anything has backslid too much in terms of, you know, but. I'm not sure what's, you know, what's the key answer to making the economy more inclusive. Obviously, UBI gives everyone that baseline start to make things, you know, to help everyone get involved. But, you know, not to go back on a topic, but I think we've been relatively neutral, right? Like, I don't think our fundamental institutions have changed heavily since, you know, I mean, we had the like, you know, civil rights and, you know, women's suffrage and things like inclusion of minority and women more into the economy made us better. And there's there's still some work we could do towards that, but do you, do you see any policies in U.S. policy right now, like American government, any policies that are examples of inclusive and maybe and the other one, I guess net, I guess the policies are good for inclusion and the other mm. one example and I. Maybe some policies are bad for inclusiveness. Do you see some examples of those? So I think one good example would be um, immigration and amnesty, mm. right? So if we, I mean, basically, you already have a bunch of illegal immigrants in the country, right? Mm. Um, it's, it would be very easy to argue that giving them amnesty, a path to either citizenship or at least some legal status would help include them in both the economy in the economy more fully as you know you know more like as not hiding in the dark but like full legal you know residents at least if not citizens and that would likely both help them economically make their own lives better and also grow the economy itself hmm. but isn't that policy the cause of the, the current border crisis is there Texas? a current border crisis? Crisis? I saw some things about it. Then I saw other things being like, "What crisis?" I mean, there's immigrants. Is the, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not even sure. If, has there even been like a big surge or anything? I've I've heard conflicting reports of whether there's like more than normal. Well, at least uh, at least I know the Republican side is always always a crisis, right? Like Fox News and Texas, Texas, Ted Cruz, you know, visiting the border, you know, so always oh, a crisis, you know. But I guess the Democrats says, oh, it's not a crisis. So, yeah. What about you, Mike? What are your thoughts? I, I mean, I, about the border? I mean, yeah. I don't know. You haven't paid attention to the border? No. I think oh, okay. it's political partisan bullshit like always. So, mm. I mean, when Trump was in, oh, people are separating their kids. Yeah, that's horrible. It's still going on. The Democrats are like, no, it isn't. The Republicans are like, oh, isn't it horrible? So... I mean, mm. if, if it's happening, it's bad. But like I say, it's dependent on who's president, who you're listening to. So. I see. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, okay. So good. So I think I can to make it exclusive, just in one. So what are the counter, like, 
do you see any policy that is bad for in- inclusiveness? Currently? Uh not letting voters get water in line in lines. <laughs> yeah that's like well that's how i brought it up because i was like that's a very clear like new thing that's like okay that's exclusion in the political process or really i mean there are definitely some attempts to sort of make voting harder in some areas we can debate you can debate maybe what policies are valid or not but clearly some people want to make voting harder right um that's very clearly not inclusive what about text like texting the reach right that's what uh, biden's proposing to do right now so is that an inclusive policy or not is is he yeah did he do that when did he say that i'm gonna have to i'm gonna i think recently i think think that's that's his next step i think that's something that he want to do and i just i mean but okay what is he defining as rich that's all wait are we taxing wealth or the wealthy because those are different things exactly uh I'm not sure. I think no wealthy, but at least, well, well, at least then actually that's, at least one thing I know for certain is, is okay. Then let's put that aside, right? That's one thing for certain. He's, he, the way he paid for the two trading infra, infrastructure bill is basically getting more tax from the corp, corporations, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that is a good way to do it? Inclusive policy, like tax I mean... being the corporations. I I think it's inclusive enough. I don't know if this is, I don't know if this like that specific policy detail, you can really like put it into the framework of inclusive or extractive, Okay. which are really supposed to be labels for institutions, not specific policies or laws, but it doesn't seem to violate it. The inherent like thought pattern, you know? Okay. Let's, let's go to the hypothetical policy. If texting the rich, right? So is that, Inclusive or not inclusive? Uh, taxing the rich, I mean, they should be taxed like everyone. And you should tax everyone, which includes the rich. So I'm going to call it inclusive unless it's... <laughs> <laughs> but you have to give me more details on the, they're probably gonna the tax policy. they probably going to tax them more, right? Yes. Like- Again, I don't think like... Yeah, I don't think specific tax policy like this is going to be like, this is not a good way to think about this concept. Okay, okay. All right. I, I do have a question. Now, you, you were you were talking about wealthy, taxing the wealthy on the wealth. What's the difference? So taxing wealthy people, like putting taxes on rich businesses and individuals is obviously a good thing to do. You need tax money. If anyone's going to pay the most, it should be the wealthiest people. Taxing wealth is a bad idea because it's just an ineffective policy. And Andrew Yang would made this point, uh, like a bunch of countries implemented a wealth tax in Europe and almost all of them got rid of it. So why? Because it's very difficult to implement and they raised very little money overall because they spent so much effort trying to tax it and they didn't get that much back. It's just wealth is a, a weird concept, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of arbitrary. So, you know, if someone buys a painting, like how much is that worth? You know, do you have to go have art experts evaluate every painting in some rich person's house to try to determine their wealth? Do they have to evaluate mm-hmm. every, you know, car and boat? Like there's a lot of stuff and those might not be too hard. There's some stuff that's not too bad to evaluate, but there's a lot of stuff that would be really hard. And it makes it, you know how rich people already get around taxes, right? They do anything mm-hmm. they can. A wealth tax is probably the most gameable tax 
possible, right? Like it would be very easy for them to put money into things and then just somehow say, get someone to say it's not worth that much. And then Mm. later on, they can sell it again for way more than they paid taxes on it. Mm. Uh, And this is what happened. And it's just very difficult to implement and deal with. It's just not effective. Mm. I see. I see. So just um... the core idea that some people have people with massive amounts of wealth, you know, should be the main people like should pay more in taxes. is not bad. It's just on a, on an implementation level, it's flawed. And we have many historical examples showing why it's bad. Mm, <laughs> okay, wealth okay. isn't liquid. Or wealth you- is not liquid. It's not concrete or objective. It's yeah. Mm, okay. It's just like the hardest thing to tax. What you should tax is consumption. Okay. Okay. That's good. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, just taxing the income, right? And the consumption as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, consumption is kind of on the flip side. It's the easiest thing to tax and track. Um, it's not, isn't doing that on your own is regressive, but if you're using the taxes to help people who are poor, you fix that anyway. So, mm. but okay. All right. So going back to the book. So it's anything that you, Disagree with the book when you were going through it? Disagree with the author? And the core idea, no. There was one example they used of a town that was like had the border cut between it, kind of, of the Mm. border of Mexico and the US. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, And they talked about like the differences in the town and how it's like just on an institutional level. And honestly, I didn't think the example really worked because I feel like there's a lot more to it than just like different institutions between those two towns. Also like the town in, you know, the U S side is one of the poorer towns in the U S and the town on the Mexico side is one of the wealthier towns in Mexico, but the U S town is still richer than the Mexican Uh. side. But, um, but I'm like, it was in a, it was one of many examples. So I'm not, and it wasn't uh, like it ended up being a counter example, but it was just a weird one where I'm like, I feel like there's actually for this case, there's a lot of like clear alternative hypotheses that could work, could apply. Mm. Um, too many confounding factors, but yeah, it's because no way they define fail, right? Well, how they define failure anyway? Is it because just they define it just like the GDP, like how much money you produce? I, I mean, yeah, I think GDP is one of, I, I think they looked mm. more general, just what, how wealthy a thing, a country or a society is, which isn't, mm. isn't always, I mean, they go, they use historical examples from before GDP was even a thing, right. Too, right. You know, Rome and stuff like that. So, um, mm. but like there, I mean, for every society, there's been at least some, you know, there's at least some written documentation about how rich people were, how rich mm. the government was, you know, rich people, poor people, like what, was the level people were living at. So you can make guesses, at least reasonable estimates. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just curious if there's a country that is like, it's not really well, it's not really wealthy, but might consider poor, but you know, the people, you know, live very stable life, you know, and they are, you know, doing considered doing very well, you know, stable peace, you know, like being productive, you know, happy, you know, so those, I mean, Based on this book, you can still failure, right? Because it doesn't have, it's not very wealthy. Yeah. Maybe. True. <laughs> if you have a good example of that, that'd be interesting to bring up. Yeah. I guess <laughs> the, the, those, you see those people like, living in the, in the woods, they don't really mingle with the modern society. You know, those people, I guess. 
I just, I guess I don't think I'm, I'm maybe for modern times, but yeah. like, I mean, you go back a couple hundred years and being poor wasn't like, Oh, I can't have the newest tech tech and go out to eat every you know day. Being poor was like, I don't know if I'll make it through the winter or I'll starve to death. Right. Like mm. it's not that far back in time when 50% of children died before adulthood. Right. Mm. And that was just normal all over the world. So, um, yeah. So the idea of like, Oh, maybe they're not rich, but they're doing well enough in today's world. That could possibly be true. You could have a country that's on the poor side, but everyone's fed. Everyone gets basic healthcare and housing. And you're like, Hey, that's not so bad. You know, that's maybe even good in some people's mind that they could argue. I think some people would find that better than what we have in the U S where there's more disparities and maybe the average person's well better off, but there's, you know, the rich, super rich and more poor people. But, but yeah, in terms of history, I, I would be very surprised if you found an example. Of that. <laughs> okay. All right. And I, so I want to go to India, actually, just, I don't know, somehow you thought about India because, you know, these, these are three almost like very, like China, right? India is very popular, but it's, it's say, I mean, a lot of people say it's going to be the next, you know, superpower as well. So, I mean, what's happening in India though? Is that, doesn't the book give you any perspective on India? Uh, the book doesn't, I don't think it really talks about India much because I think a lot of the stuff that's happening is too new. So there's mm. not enough, it's not history enough to really like evaluate. Um, mm. Yeah. And I don't know too much. I mean, I've heard from what I've heard, India is pushing, you could say India is pushing towards more inclusive things, but that's a lot. I, I don't know too much about it. If you have, more concrete examples of like the changes India has been making. We could discuss that. Oh, I just wondering like, why India is not in the same level as China right now. Right. So then that's why I want to just run why it's not as, as wealthy or maybe as, you know, as it's not recognized as a equivalent as China. So then that's why I'm asking. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's not as wealthy as China. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's got a similar population, but, and it's growing. It's developing like it could end up as wealthy as China mm-hmm. and, you know, not so long, but for right now, at least it's behind if I. If yeah. I, yeah. I so, so, so initially I'm just curious, like why, why isn't this the case? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, sorry, I've just been thinking about like in, in previous like weeks, we've talked about um, sort of the, like, I guess, conflict and, so, I mean, in, like, in, you know, the literature, like, it's it, basically you find that, like, I, it, when making a decision, you want, like, a moderate amount of, like, topic-based, task-based conflict and very low emotional conflict in order to get, like, a somewhat optimal decision. Because, like, and we've I th- put another way in, like, previous uh, weeks, we've talked about, like, how if you have too many options, it can paralyze you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, or, like, and if you have too many options, uh, like, or if you have, like, high task-based conflict in, like, a group or something, it can lead to emotional conflict. So I guess, like, I'm trying to think about how to apply, like, this book to, like, our country in a way. And like also the books and all, and also I'm thinking like, like the book's thesis, like, I mean, a hundred percent inclusivity, like on all things, like on all fronts, like I think is a, I mean, it's just hard for me to be like, like, 
Like, it sounds good in theory, but I, like, I'm wondering if in practice, is that going to lead to something like, you know, where we have too many options, too many opinions, and that ultimately leads to the emotional, like, you know, what we're seeing, like, emotionally right now, right? Where essentially there's just, like, emotional outcry everywhere. Is this like the Bernie Sanders, we don't need 20 types of deodorant? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I think he said something like that one day. Like, we don't need 20 types of deodorant in the store, you know? Um, right. I don't know. This kind of sounds like a reach, Mike. I'm going to be honest. Well, I don't, because uh, I think you are thinking about the opposite of inclusive. I don't think the opposite of inclusive is not, is not exclusive, right? Even if you are exclu- excluded, it doesn't mean that you are, that's the wrong thing to do, right? It's not you are not doing the, uh, the object of inclusive and is from this, this perspective is extractive, right? Are you exploiting these people, right? You try to extract stuff from it. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's a different way. Maybe in a, you are thinking, okay, if it's not a hundred percent, so 20% exclusive, excluded, then maybe that's bad. But, but I think right, the object no. of inclusive is extractive, right? So it's not. Right, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's not ex- it's not inclusive, exclusive. It's inclusive, yeah. extractive. That's right. Yeah, different policy. Maybe right, in right, it, right. maybe in it helps. <laughs> I don't know. No, 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 no. I had forgotten that distinction. So it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's not slavery, right? You are you are not you are making that a citizen not as productive because now it's not you are only using their labor. Now you you are not. You're not leveraging his brain to do maybe maybe not you know if you don't do slavery you know these people are gonna actually do a lot of like invent stuff right that might be changing the world and stuff like that so right right now right. obviously slaves have a very little incentive to work hard and effectively for very good reason yeah, you know, yeah beyond yeah. the terrible just moral crime that slavery is but yeah no that's a really good point she made it's yeah. it's so like I mean in a very simple level you can think of inclusive as kind of cooperative. While mm-hmm. extractive is competitive in the sense of like, not competitive like in a market sense, but competitive in the sense of like, I'm going to take from you. Right, right, right. Get right, wealth right. rather than make anything. Right. No, I mean, that makes sense. So, not all idea. right. Yeah. Cool. I had three more questions. One is, uh, so did the book change how you think? And all like before you read a book, like, if you compare like before you read a book and after, like, did you did it change your thinking any anyway? Mm. Yeah, I think I don't know if I thought much about like kind of institutions as a concept as much, you know, because I feel like in politics it's very easy to think about policies, laws, and very like kind of more fine grain, you know, things. Um, and also kind of just assume technology is like why we're wealthy. Right. And obviously again, it's a part of it, but I think it kind of helped. Yeah. It kind of helped me view kind of history and the world through a different lens and say, okay, you know, why do some countries in some cases, the same people that are split into two countries, you know, why did, you know, one go one way, one, the other, it's not just one picked better policies, but like there's a more fundamental underlying, you know, cause. Hmm. Yeah, I think as you summarize it in the beginning, is that it's about it's kind of about all about the people, right? If you you need to leverage the people to be more productive individually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so they need to be like 
incentivized and enabled to be productive. And if you have everyone being productive, like it's very clear in the modern economy, if you have everyone being highly productive, you're going to become really rich, right? Mm. You know, that's all the rich developed countries, you know, are the regular income of a worker is much higher. They're just more productive for mm. a variety of reasons, tend to be more educated, tend to be able to use technology more, you know, better tools and stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So is there any way you can apply this to this concept from the book to business, like companies, corporations? Because mm. I think you're talking about institution, right? Institution, companies, that's kind of, you know, small example, but can you apply mm. this to these institutions? I think you could. Um, I mean, I'm doing this off the fly, but I think kind of employee-friendly policies, like things like giving employees stake in a company, you know, stocks, you know, maybe rewarding them for doing well and just, you know, that sort of thing, kind of getting them kind of like, rather than just having a very dictatorial, like the managers makes you do this and you just get your pay no matter what. And like, I'll punish you if you don't do the stuff, like kind of encouraging employees to be active, to think on their own, to take initiative, you know, and to be rewarded for the success of the company over it all. I think you could argue that's kind of a similar inclusive framework. Right. And uh, you know, and maybe that would make your company better because you'd have employees kind of, you know, engaged and trying to do more rather than just grinding. I mean, there's always going to be some people who just want to grind for their money. Right. And they're not really that concerned about the company, but Mm. that's how you could maybe apply these ideas. Okay. And I mean, I've heard stuff about that, right. Where people are like, you know, say like, you know, if you have give, basically give employees more power and decision-making then things mm. often go well because they kind of they're the ones who really know what's going on on the ground level you know they're the oh ones. yeah but yeah and isn't a similar concept in the military called decentralized decision making right you have a you know you have a commander right send you you know give you some missions but you know these are people the soldier are the one executing it right and they their decision need to be decentralized right Cannot just be like one someone on top, just like shout out, shout out commands, right? And they need to do it themselves on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's and it's it's not ex like inclusive versus extractive isn't explicitly decentralized or centralized, but there's clearly like a like some correlation between the two, right? The more yeah. you include, there's just obviously more people in general. Inherently, things will become more decentralized, and extractive institutions tend to be concentrated in terms of you know, someone or some group with power doing mm. the extracting from other groups. So, it, you know, you tend to get this more strict hierarchical power structure. Mm. Maybe in a way of thinking, like, instead of just, oh, thinking about oh, what can I get from my employees, right? They need, they need to do this so I can benefit, right? Maybe it's like giving back to the employers as well. Like, oh, what can I do to give benefit to employees, right? So instead of just not just taking, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think Chick-fil-A is a great example of this, right? <laughs> Those employees are so much better than every other fast food. I have to assume they get paid way better. Oh, really? How so? What, why Why Chick-fil-A? Have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? Yeah. It's, it's a few times with Mike because he, he's obsessed with it. It's crazy because like they're so efficient. Like you, there'll be like a long ass line in Chick Fil A, but it'll keep going at a really steady pace. And when you like pull up to your 
the car, they have like one person waiting for your credit card and then like another person already handing you the food. They're like both sticking themselves out the window or when it gets busy, they'll have people walk outside with a terminal to like, you know, get your orders faster while you're in line. And they're just super friendly and nice and like, Ah. And so much better. Like the level of like employees at Chick-fil-A is so much better than your normal fast food. I assume they must be doing something like this. Oh, you, you mean their customer service and everything. Yeah. yeah. But it's obviously it's both customer service and like they're friendly and polite and, you know, mm. engaged and enthusiastic when you talk to them. But they're also like really fast and efficient. Like they are working well. They're not just like a lot of fast food places. The people are just kind of like do, yeah. know, going along. It's like, okay, I get it. You know, they're being paid garbage so they don't really care it's like i understand this you know that's just how most fast food places are but not chick-fil-a maybe it's because (laughs) they believe in god i don't think every chick-fil-a employee believes in god (laughs) but we could see if that you know factors into their business organization okay interesting but yeah cool i think that's uh i think that's pretty good that's all my questions from this week for on the book yeah i think that's give me a lot of pretty good understanding to summarize again you know yep. i think i think the basic idea is really intuitive when you think about it but like if you want a country to be rich yeah you're going to need people to work effectively to create that wealth mm. and if you're gonna and if, that seems kind of obvious when you say it right and if you go from mm. there it kind of leads to this idea pretty well hmm What's, yeah. what's the most surprising book thing you learned from a book? Hmm. It's a shame I, I read it this like a year and a half ago because it's yeah. hard to remember now. What was mm-hmm. what most surprised me at the time? Or any examples of anything that was super surprising? Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I can't remember what I did and did not know at that time. <laughs> did like, did they no. talk about Singapore and all, and an Asian country, Singapore and all? Um, you don't, that means probably, no. Probably, maybe. A Taiwan? Korea was a big one. It talked about uh, Korea a lot. So that's one of the Asian tigers, right? Mm, and yeah. it also talked about Japan a little bit, which sort of went through their process of like transforming to an inclusive society earlier than most of these other east asian countries but mm. uh, i don't i don't know if singapore was mentioned as much okay it mostly tried to focus on things i would say kind of like pre-1980s because it, oh. it is trying to take a historical look right things that are too modern it's hard china was like kind of the big exception and still the open question right they're like okay this is what china's done and but it's still kind of unknown how a lot of the things in China are going to work out. But it it was more of a historical book than like a what's going on right now in the world book. If that mm, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Sounds good. Yeah, most countries already being pretty. Like Japan is already established by the eighties, right? And then China was still struggling in the eighties, and then in the nineties was still struggling too, right? But only around two thousand, like twenty years ago, it started to became really uh, much better. Yeah. Well, I think it started growing a lot in the 90s, too. Yeah. But, you know, that probably wasn't spread all over. I mean, I think oh, a yeah. lot of that growth is concentrated in the special economic zones in China anyway, yeah. even now. I did, but... I, I, I did not feel the growth when I was in, <laughs> in the 90s. I mean, it could definitely make sense that, like, some areas would have, you know, it's not going to instantly change everything in the yeah. whole country, right? It's, like, starts yeah. in some areas and spreads out to some degree. Yeah. 
but no, no, it's yeah, a good book. Good. It's, it's honestly can get a little boring in the middle part when you're just getting to like the 12th country where they're like going through how it like aligns with their theory. Yeah. But you know, if it's too boring, you can just skip a few chapters. The beginning and the end are real good. Mm, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I, I guess, uh, just another point going back to China a little bit. Like in growing out of nineties, uh, you know, you know, those like Japanese schools, like you, 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 like in, in, in the U.S. too, like in middle school, you have these basketball teams, right? You can join the sports teams, right? Clubs and stuff like that, right? When I was in middle school, I actually playing a lot of basketball with my friends, right? And then I want to, like, to have a team. I wish now I, we have a team like that, but our school just did not have anything like that. Because mm. I know extra curriculum activities no night after school and clubs and stuff like that and at that time i was reading like you know like japanese anime mangas right anime like books and then they talk about these night like, oh basketball clubs you know martial art clubs and then baseball clubs i was like what the fuck you know i wish <laughs> we have that but i think right now trying to have it but just when i was growing up just there's nothing like that i was like yeah bro in the wrong time you just one generation too early. Usually, people are like, "I was born in a generation too late." Oh, no, I think I was just generation. ten years too early. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a hundred years too early because I want to be in that we've cured death age, <laughs> which yes. we're gonna miss. Yeah. Stay tuned for further topics. Oh well. Yeah. No. All right. Any final what? thoughts from Mike? Yeah. No. I mean, I just keep like as always. I mean, I. I'm like go back and forth. I mean, like it, it makes sense to me that, like, like I'm thinking about inclusivity versus exclusivity, and and not like having remembered inclusivity versus like sort of exploitation, and mm-hmm. like, I mean, if if the like if we treat those as like one dimensional spectrums each, I mean, like it makes sense that like leaning towards inclusivity on both those spectrums is like sort of obvious but mm. i'm not 100 percent convinced on either spectrum that 100 percent one way or the other is good but mm. so just because like like when you brought up businesses i was thinking like i like i mean because sort of 100 percent inclusivity in a business sort of like as matt was getting at like is probably more going to be like going down the route of like everyone having equal shares right like everyone being as invested as they can be or mm-hmm. as like included as they can be, but um, yeah, go ahead. Well, but I, I would just say that like I agree that everyone should feel that they have a stake in it. But like, there's a question about like with, with respect to the and this. I, I going back to the quote we started the episode with, like, like no one knows your like your wants or like mm. your as well as you do. So if you start a business with a certain vision, mm. like I think there needs to be some degree, like there may be some degree of exploitation, some degree of exclusivity that is necessary for you to drive that where you want it to drive. With yeah, the respect think... of a country, obviously that's a whole nother thing. But Yeah. And I mean, you're not wrong there, but yeah, I get, the important thing is countries and a company or a business is not the same thing. Right. 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 So, you know, countries are not created by someone for a certain purpose. So the idea that, you know, a business, you might say, oh yeah, the owner should be able to sort of drive towards what they're going for. But with a country, you don't, shouldn't have just one person deciding 
you know, what happens to everyone. Because this is in the end, and this is a theory for nations, right? And the institutions that, you know, are part of those nations. Not a, It's not like a, presented as a general life philosophy, you know, how to yeah. be happier and get rich or something. Yeah, but I think, Mike, your point of inclusive, I feel like inclusive doesn't mean everybody have equal power, right? It doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, right? It just means, I think, and it's from what I understand, uh, what Matt was talking about was inclusive just means that you try to enable everybody to be productive, right? But doesn't mean you should give them everybody equal power, right? To mm. make a decision, right? So. No, that's good. She, yeah. I think she made a good point. I think you could argue, you know, the employee, yeah, who doesn't have any power, but they get a decent pay to do a job that they're assigned. Yeah. Like this is an inclusive, that it could be to some degree is inclusive because you're including them in the whole process. They are getting paid for it. You know, they have the choice to, you know, work or not work. And I don't know, what's the example of an extractive thing? You know, those scummy companies that like, uh, you you pay them to get like part of into the weird sales pyramid screen. Oh right? yeah, the pyramid. Yeah. And, like yeah, that yeah, could yeah. be like an extractive company, right? Because in a very literal sense, they are looking at their employees as the way they get most of their money. It's from the employees and then it's hoping to build. So I would say a pyramid scheme is an extractive business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, it's it's interesting, but yeah. I guess I was just thinking about like, I don't know, whatever absolutes are argued, and and like I think you said like a couple of times throughout the episode, basically like that. It doesn't seem to be. It seems to be a very general philosophy as opposed to like mm. anything that is relevant to implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, cool. I think it's got relevant. For the countries that aren't, you know, already rich, I think there's a lot of these you can look at and say, you know, why potentially like what's gone wrong here and what could we change? But for like the U.S., it's probably less ac- applicable because it's kind of like, OK, yeah, at the U.S. level, it's like it the details that we would Matter. differ on. Are, yeah. Yeah. It's what you'd care about. Right. It's, uh, I would say in the front of U.S., it's still still could be relevant. Just like don't do stuff that are the opposite of inclusive. Right. Just like. And that's one way to prevent U.S. from failing, I guess, right? <laughs> to mm-hmm. yeah. sure, but I, I feel like, but I feel like if it's talking about like the like the extortive practices it's referring to, and like the the are 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 almost like on a level that we're like it's like on a level that we're not going back there, right? I mean, because like it's referring to like slavery things, like, like so. I mean. I, I, is there that much we need to learn? Like, if they're that extreme, is like, it's it's some policies, right? Now, I mean, look and I mean, that's a lot of country like Brazil, you know, like other uh, African country. They don't have slavery, slavery right now, right? But they're still not doing very very, very well, right? North Korea, no, no slavery, but you oh, know, they have doing... slavery in North Korea. <laughs> 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 yeah still i mean that's a lot of country and there's no slavery no not exploitive uh obvious policies maybe but they're still not doing they're failing right because like i guess venezuela right look at what's going on there right so mm. chaos like, i guess Nationalize like, a bunch of industries cause an economic collapse 
It's right. not very well, that's, inclusive. But I guess that's what I'm saying, though. Like, like you're naming countries where literally people are just totally removed from the economic and or political process. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, the U.S. is not even like the U.S. includes. I mean, despite what like a lot of people are arguing about now, a lot of people, a very high percentage of people, are included mm. in both the economic and political processes here. Yeah, but so, I'm, I'm saying that it's just like. Just not, in the future, you never know, right? So you need to prevent that, like going downhill in the future, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, if someone came in and like Napoleon came in and said, "Hey, you know, to govern the country," he's like, "Oh, yeah, you know, dictator or something," right? So yeah, <laughs> right. Yes, yeah. so if we suddenly slip into a dictatorship, then... yeah. And some say we were really close. <laughs> they they went for the electoral college vote. Mm-hmm. This this not really that close, but you know, there was a sort of a coup attempt. <laughs> and if our political like almost dictator is now giving speeches at like weddings just trashing the new president i mean i don't know how close we were but <laughs> wait trump's giving speeches at weddings i didn't hear about that well no there was like some wedding at mar-a-lago and he like took the like he showed up and like took the microphone and apparently like i didn't watch the video but apparently he was like going off on biden and stuff it's like whatever that sounds you, kind of sad, but yeah. yeah have exactly. you have you heard he's starting a social network? I did hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Is it going to be like a Twitter copy or? I don't know. I mean, I assume because he loved Twitter, but yeah. Since I don't have Facebook, maybe I should join. <laughs> it would give you an insight to at least one section of the country for sure. It's mm. a good way to not be too echo chambery, right? You know, mm. what True. this group of individuals believe that are clearly all mentally well there's probably be a lot of q and on (laughs) if you retrain that ai like uh speech model like or q and on yeah oh that could actually be really funny and then post it anonymously on internet stuff right Mm -hmm. Ooh, this could be good yeah yeah actually the gtp model actually they 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 define that's a reason why he's on a wait list because a lot of people were they were finding out and that's doing learning a lot of like bias, like racist stuff. Right? So that's mm-hmm. why they restrict the access to GTP actually. One of the reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's I think some people are saying that, yeah. yeah. It just makes me think of that Microsoft AI, was it Tay or whatever, the like chat bot. Oh yeah. They put up like six years ago or something, but like they put it up and just let let it chat with anyone and learn. And then, like, 24 hours, they had to shut it down because right, right. it was quoting Hitler and spewing all sorts of hate and stuff. And it's like, oh, man. Like, of course that's going to happen because the internet's going to be like, yeah, let's corrupt this. But, mm. yeah. well, no. I mean, anonymous, like, people, when they're anonymous, are just going to do terrible things to just for have a laugh. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Let's, all let's right. put an end to this episode and then we're tuning next time for bruce lee i guess we talk about bruce lee next time bruce lee and martial arts and related philosophy the best are uh tai chi of course the best martial art in the world yeah that's right we can talk about how matt punched me in the face (laughs) you weren't supposed to let me but you know yeah or punch me in the arms when i had a turtle oh Uh, yeah just punched your hands right into your face because you weren't doing a good solid guard that's right yes yes all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna finish with how we sign off now we are no longer live Shinto club